Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to be talking through some terminology, uh, some stubbornness, and maybe some reasonable expectations. We'll see. But before I jump into that content, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about PeaceWorks Live. Now, if you have been following the podcast lately, you know we've been promoting PeaceWorks Live. It's our uh, annual event. It's our conference in Charleston, West Virginia at Bible Center Church, and it's taking place in September of 2023. So if you are listening to this podcast in real time and uh, uh, close to when it drops, you have plenty of time uh, to go to chrismoles.org and learn about PeaceWorks Live. We'd love for you to be there. There is a live stream option, but I'm just telling you, in person is so much better. So please consider joining us uh, at PeaceWorks Live this year in September. It's going to be a great time. Again, Charleston, West Virginia, Bible Center Church, uh, we are walking through some great content about domestic abuse and the local church. All right, so today I want to talk through um, ever-changing terms, stubborn defiance maybe, or reasonable expectations. And I bring that up because sometimes, sometimes I do feel like maybe I'm being too stubborn. And then other times I come back to know now that's what was meant. That was what was intended, right? That's that's how it was meant to be, and and I guess I've always had a bit of that streak in me. Um, one recent example is my family and I were uh, getting some items for a, an upcoming trip, and we went to the local Cabela's in uh, in Charleston, home of PeaceWorks Live, and uh, we. They had flags everywhere. I mean, it was American flag central. Now, at the time of this recording, it's Memorial Day weekend. And we had a discussion with one of our kids about Memorial Day and the distinction between Memorial Day and Veterans Day and how there are, you know, a lot of people who who perhaps don't know the distinction or they haven't been taught the distinction or they just, for whatever reason, confuse the distinctions. And so you'll have people who are, you know, thanking veterans and making it about veterans, um, you know, when it's Memorial Day. And there's just a different meaning behind that term. Now, it's not, to to me, it's not highly offensive. It's just a bit of confusion. And I I feel pretty confident that I know the difference, um, that other people that I know know the difference. And, you know, I think they should remain distinct, quite frankly. I just think that's how they why they were created. Uh, they were created for different purposes. And so those terms should remain distinct. And, you know, it's up to us as individuals to know why the terms are what they are. Now, I bring that up because this has been happening uh, in Christian circles for a long time. We adopt, develop, create a distinction. And over time, that distinction changes a bit, or those who hold that label or title change a bit, or uh, there's a diversity of understanding, and that's okay. However, I do think it's important that we understand the origins of a terminology and why people adopt that term. And I'll give you another example distinct from our primary discussion today. Uh, I am an evangelical. 
I continue to use that term. I would consider myself as a believer in the church that I pastor and the people that I love within that congregation that I'm called the disciple, evangelicals. Historically, it's a pretty accurate term. But I have had people over the years from different sides of the fence say things to me like, well, you're no longer an evangelical. If you believe that, if you hold that, if you behave that way, you're no longer an evangelical. And as I've contemplated and thought about the accusation, that's not true. Nothing that I've proposed really steps that far outside of or far afield from Gay or Billy Graham or uh, you know, the, the, the folks who were part of neo-evangelicalism. Or I have people will say this, well, Chris, how in the world can you wear the label evangelical? Don't you know it's been hijacked by fundamentalists? Well, it's, it's our term. Like, I know what evangelical means, and I know that's where the title of today's podcast, or at least the intro, comes from. Maybe I'm just being stubbornly defiant, or maybe I have a reasonable expectation. I'm comfortable calling myself an evangelical because I feel comfortable knowing what that entails, that it is a broader umbrella, and it entails a lot of different people. You know, following the, uh, the, the Scopes trial, for instance, so that was probably, I was actually in Dayton, Tennessee, oh, back in March, as recently as March, and we drove by the courthouse, and I was um, commenting to some of the kids I was with, you know, the importance of that courthouse and what happened and the Scopes monkey trial and how it kind of defined um, fundamentalism and evangelicalism, and they were completely bored and didn't care. <laughs> but I think part of that is where we get the, um, the, the tense discussion about whether you're in or whether you're out or whether you should be in or whether you should be out. Because as those two groups, you know, ran parallel to each other for so many years, evangelicalism or neo-evangelicalism and fundamentalism, at, at one point or at some point, what was the fundamentalists, their branch bent into evangelicalism. Um, most people think it was, you know, politically motivated and that's somewhat of a shame, but now the, the, the term evangelical seems to be much more broad. And for some folks, that's really hard because they don't want to be associated with the fundamentalist group, or perhaps folks who are maybe a little bit more on the fundamentalist side don't like the, the fact that there are still evangelicals in the evangelical camp. And so that thus the well, Chris, you're no longer an evangelical. I, I don't think I've changed all that much. I don't think I've moved from that position. Or how can you wear that label? Do you want to be associated with A, B, or C? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I know the answer to that question. Well, Chris, why in the world do you bring this up? Because I think this happens a lot with terminology. And I think we've seen it happen again recently, especially in our work regarding domestic abuse and discussing you know, a Christian's role in addressing aspects of abuse. And I think it tends to take this little battle of complementarity versus egalitarianism. And in much the same way that I think the evangelical fundamentalist kind of splintering, merger, confusion, unity, you know, over something other than, possibly over something other than the gospel, um, is confusing. I think the complementarian, egalitarian debate in regards to who can 
serve victims who can confront perpetrators has also been conflated. And I think that's okay to have those discussions. I, I would ask, and I think this is, again, maybe I'm being stubborn or maybe I'm being reasonable. Like this is where I'm trying to, to balance out my own heart. I think it's, I think it's reasonable to ask the question, you know, what do the terms mean? Where did they come from? Why are they seemingly always focused on the edges or the extremes? And is there a healthy place for folks close to the middle to seek the care of victims and the accountability of perpetrators? So let's just start with the terms. You know, complementarianism, uh, the label, the term is younger than I am. Now, I'm not the youngest of people. I'm under 50. Um, and so is complementarianism. As a term, as a label, it's a relatively young concept. It's not as if complementarianism as a construct, as an understanding, as a um, philosophy to adopt is all that old. Now, you know, biblical passages that are used to support complementarity, uh, biblical principles that we talk about quite a bit on the PeaceWorks podcast, um, such as power, control, headship, submission, um, power under, power over. I mean, those are historically biblical concepts. Uh, but the question is, you know, what is complementarity? How did it come to being? What's the purpose behind it? Well, I mean, in in the most basic sense, complementarianism is a reaction. It, it was a reaction to a term that really began to uh, come to prominence in evangelical circles and Christian discussion in the 70s, and that's a term called egalitarianism. So even these two terms as uh, positions are relatively young. And it's not something that has been the subject of Christian and moral debate for centuries, but a relatively new concept um, that, that I hope I can at least unpack a little bit. But egalitarianism uh, as, a, as a, a notion of equality, which is something that both groups agree on, which I think is something that um, is not really seen in the debates much anymore, that both groups began with the idea of equality, and then they differed on how that equality is biblically laid out. Is it interchangeability, um, as some of the, at, time, at that time, evangelical feminists would have proposed, or is it complement, complementary, as the uh, complementarians would suggest? Is it um, two interchangeable holes, or is it two pieces of a whole? And honestly, I mean, it, it's kind of like any other theological concept. If Jesus is at the center and we're walking with him and we're full of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and we're seeking to honor him um, in our lives, in our church, and through his word, the distinctions are not going to make that much of a difference. In my mind, practically, they're going to look very similar as a person who holds to an interchangeable 
form of equality um, is is going to, if they're walking in step with Jesus, show compassion, patience, kindness as somebody who sees um, complementarity, the, the, the wholeness of the unity, the wholeness of the complementing um, parts, who loves Jesus is also going to be patient, kind, gentle, etc. Um, and, and again, that's a very simplistic answer. And we, and we could get into ontologically, what's the term, ontologically equal, functionally different. Um, and, and I think that could be a good discussion, but maybe a better discussion for a theologian as opposed to a practitioner. But the idea was a response to this seemingly interchangeability concept of egalitarianism with the complementarity of two parts needed to complete the whole. God's image being seen in the male and the female. Um, maleness and femaleness um, unify through a concept of marriage, uh, as we see like in Ephesian, in the in the book of Ephesians, as a mirror, a reflection of Christ-like character, of this oneness that we can we can only picture really um, in the personhood of, of God. It's this arrow that points to heaven. Um, and so there was this debate in the 80s about that functionality. Are men and women functionally different or are they functionally the same? And, and people came down on different sides of that line. Uh, but as I said earlier, I think the closer we are to the line, um, the better. And I've said for many years, I still believe this. I think biblical complementarians, those who are just driven to love Jesus and and take the scriptures to teach what we would call complementarity in the home, um, have very egalitarian marriages. Because there is in that there is a lot of interchangeability, mutuality, reciprocity, because that's what servanthood um, does. However, there are abuses that can take place. And so if we were to go back to our fundamentalist evangelical, you know, parallel lines for a second, for a few years, complementarians and egalitarians had a reasonable discussion as those two parallel lines function alongside each other, as they were, you know, two, two parts of, of a similar whole. They were in step with the gospel, not everyone, but, but for the sake of our argument, several you know, pursuing the gospel, pursuing worship missions, pursuing the, the role of the church. It's just they had a differing view on men and women. However, on the one side, there was also a group of traditionalists who conflated complementarity to traditionalism, to this idea of, well, yes, that's what we've always believed, that men are superior and women are inferior. Wait, wait, that's not what was said. That's not what was said, and yet that um, title is much better and more attractive than patriarchy, for instance. So, so in many ways, the traditionalists like to use the term in a much broader sense, I think, than, than maybe the architects or even those of us who came along later to, to see the benefit in having terminology or labels that, that we identified with. And so here I stand as a complementarian, what some people would now call a soft complementarian, which is funny, to me, seeing traditionalism, um, uh, patriarchy, maybe is a better word, 
being touted as the same. And it, patriarchy doesn't seem to be nearly as nuanced or concerned with equality of value or equality of worth, which was part of those initial discussions and complementarity. So in much the same way, Chris, why are you still calling yourself a complementarian? Well, I don't know that I've moved. Yes, I've always been a, a little on the what, what people call the soft complementarian side. I have a more of a concentric circle view, whereas it's much more um, rigid within, let's say, the home and a little bit more, less so in the church and in absolutely less so in society as opposed to some people that I know that try to apply those principles throughout all contexts at all times. And I, I do think there are differences. But that doesn't mean that that reasonable discussion ended. There are still some of us who work very closely with egalitarians, and there are still some egalitarians who work very closely with complementarians. Because we know that when Jesus at the center, there's not much difference between us. And we're still working for the safety of victims and the accountability of perpetrators. Now, we may have some theological differences. We may view things in the home or the church slightly different. But when a spirit or the mind of Christ, I should say, that, that measure of humility that respects others and treats others well, there is a unity that can exist while there are disagreements. And it and I only say it not just biblically, because I think the bond of peace is greater than our divisions on uh, labels and roles, uh, but I also think that, huh, that yes, the, the, the unity of the Spirit it overwhelms a lot of that, but I also think that the, the work unifies us in a way that we see it more important than our differences. And if we're both walking in step with the gospel, we're not harming people openly. We can still disagree. Um, we can still have pretty heated arguments as to what's the best place to start or what does the word kephale mean? Uh, and those are some of the debates that, that you'll, you'll hear and some of the discussions that you'll hear. Uh, but I do think there is a healthy way to walk together in serving families. Now, the other side of the, the, the coin is, well, Chris, we see what you're saying, and that seems like an excuse. You're just making an excuse for the, the abusers among your, your myths. You're just saying that complementarians going to have, complementarianism is going to have abusers because um, you don't want to abandon your label and show everybody that the theology is the problem. Well, the theology or the philosophy or the label is 40 year, less than 40 years old. And abuse in the church and in the home was happening long before the term complementarity was brought into existence. Is it possible that complementarity gives us a nuanced response, a nuanced idea of how husbands are called to serve as opposed to merely a weapon to force wives to submit to anything as opposed to um, mutuality that we see in Ephesians chapter 5, for instance. And I think that's part of the problem, that abuse is present within circles that call themselves complementarian. I get it. And I think abuse is present within circles that call themselves egalitarian. And I think we should move closer to Jesus. I don't know that that's the whole answer. Again, I don't know if I'm living in stubborn defiance or if I have a reasonable expectation. But I will say this. I think if we all move closer to the person, the work of, the, of Jesus, we will still have reasonable division 
and hopefully healthy discussions, and we may persuade each other, but those discussions are not going to happen at the extremes. Let me give you two stories, two real stories um, uh, that I think are both problematic. I shouldn't say problematic. I think both of them are sinful. I think they fall outside of the purview of the gospel. And if either of these stories offends you and my take on these offends you, then perhaps I'm being too stubborn or perhaps, perhaps it's time for you to evaluate how important um, certain aspects of these issues are to you. Story number one, large church in your community. Your neighbors are part of the church. You have a great relationship with your neighbors and they've been begging you, begging you to come to the church's uh, Easter pageant. The church is well known for their choir. Their choir is unbelievable. And so you and your spouse decide to take your neighbors up on the offer and you go to the church. Now, you know that theologically you guys are a little bit different, but you like good music and you like a good production. And so, and you love your neighbors. So you go and you're fascinated by the uh, level of the production, the, the, the choir, but you're also troubled by the language and demeanor of the pastor who spends 30 minutes after the production uh, berating the congregation, inviting people to repent, um, and naming some pretty specific sins, quote-unquote sins, that seem to be more about normal human behavior and conflict to you. You challenge your friends on this notion, and your friends do tell you that they're a bit uncomfortable with their pastor's language from time to time, and that he does have a reputation for being a bully, and especially when it comes to women, that it's somewhat known that he's misogynistic, maybe a little bit of a sexist. But you also know that God has, they say, um, put him in this position, and he's the pastor, and he has the authority, and that also, you know, as the husband, he has authority in his family. And those are some major red flags for you that people are willingly or, or willfully being bullied by a pastor. It, and you can see where I'm going with this. You pull the rope, and the gospel is more than likely going to fall apart. That a person feels that they have authority over the church, that they lead the church rather than the spirit, that they can bully their staff rather than love and support their staff, that they can bully women as opposed to love their sisters in Christ. And you can see where husbands living under that example may follow suit. And I can almost hear all of my egalitarian friends saying, amen, see, that's the problem with your theology. But my challenge would be, is it complementarianism that produced that? Is it, the, is it the construct that created that? Or is the construct a convenient companion to that? Because somebody who follows Jesus, someone who walks the way, the path of, of the Lord, somebody who is obedient to the word of God is not a bully. They respect and love those made in the image of God. They want to follow the word of God. They want to live in the will of God, seek the heart of God, uh, not bully people. Let me give you a, a, another church. Kids have grown up, and they have moved to a large city. And while you're visiting your kids, they invite you to come to um, their church on a Sunday morning. Uh, you've been a little concerned that 
that your kids are headed maybe a little bit more progressive thinking than you are, but you love your kids. And so you tag along for the Sunday service and the pastor at the local church announces that next week, um, during Sunday service, they're going to have a pet baptism. They're going to baptize dogs, cats. Um, I don't know why you baptize a fish, but you know, that bring your pets and we'll baptize them. And the pastor explains that this baptism is for um, the remission of sin and to allow your pet to get into heaven. Now, some of you may be listening saying this is absurd, but this is a real-life scenario. I've seen a few occasions of this from churches that claim to be evangelical Christians, right? Now, you discuss that with your, your kids, and your kids are far less concerned than you are. You know, Dad, why are you being, you know, so aggressive? I mean, pets are people too. And there's a whole string of problems with that phrase. And I, I know, hopefully, hopefully we won't get any, as they used to say back in the day, cards and letters about that. But here you have another church where perhaps the pastors abuse their authority a little bit. They're stepping outside of the realm of the gospel. They're practicing something that's extra biblical. Um, and they're leading people into a false gospel of redeeming animals through baptism. And, as weird as that sounds, the odds are really good that that church has an inclusion statement or theologically is egalitarian. Is it their egalitarianism that led them to abandon the gospel? Some would say yes. I, I would say probably not. <laughs> There's a lot more going on than egalitarianism. So what are you getting at, Chris? You know, rather than looking at these streams, Let's look at the extremes and acknowledge that they're off base. We shouldn't have cover-ups of sexual abuse in our church in the name of complementarity and defend them in the name of complementarity. And we certainly shouldn't have, um, uh, let's say, uh, sexualized performances in churches and de, you know, defend them in the name of inclusion or decry them in the name of egalitarianism. Those examples are far outside of what we're supposed to be as believers. Let's come back towards the middle. Let's come back towards Jesus. Let's have reasonable discussions. And yes, let's be a little bit stubborn. Hang on to our labels a little bit longer, but do it in a way that allows us to work together, to have conversations, to discuss how practically those of us who want to follow Jesus can abandon abuse, can abandon apostasy, and can lean into the hope that only Jesus can bring, and the hope that will bring life and health to victims of domestic abuse and accountability to those who perpetrate it. Well, I hope this was helpful. If it was more confusing than it was helpful, I do apologize. <laughs> we so appreciate you guys. We really do. And we appreciate the discussions. Um, as you think about the nuances of theological positions or even philosophical positions or even tribes, that we would continue to seek the heart of God, that we would be committed to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, and we'd be filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Thank you again for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, folks. God bless.